first transaction, 900 grand. Why didn't you go after like a hundred grand home somewhere and out of state and like a lower cost of living? It was really interesting to me knowing that like I can basically get 16 units in one transaction and have one closing, one loan, and the building is valued at a different way. A piece of land in Everett I purchased for like 960000 for a five-story structure for 20 units. And I have three affordable units in that one. Just let us build. And we trusted the property manager to do it. And then I went there for a showing randomly one time because we were trying to sell it. And I just saw how he was dealing with the tenants, like banging on the door, like just being super rude. I was like, dude, what are you doing? And so I came back, I think a week after just to kind of properly introduce myself, which I haven't come to find out, you know, the sink was broken. The hot water heater was broken. I was like, guys, I'm so sorry. Fixed it right away. And we text all the time and you know, we're homies now. And everybody's pretty easy to work with, to be honest. You know, tenants are tenants. Some are bad, some are good. And that's really what it is at the end of the day. Me personally, every single Section 8 tenant I've come across, which is limited, I'm no expert in the field by any means, but each one of them are just good people. They take care of their homes. They have children. You know, it's their space. They go to work. They go home. They want to relax there. That's their home. If things go wrong, you as a landlord have to address that right away. And it's really just the communication with your Section 8 tenants or any tenants gets the job done. Okay, welcome to another episode of Affordable Housing and Real Estate Investing. Today, I got Gabe Silva and Ivan Rojas, some real like experienced real estate developers in the greater Boston area. And I can't wait for all of you guys to meet them today and learn from their mistakes because the world of real estate development is a small circle. There's not that many people that are in that industry. And we're going to really dive into their stories, how they got involved in it, and essentially what made them successful in this industry. So Gabe, Ivan, welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much for coming on here. I can't wait to get to this conversation with you guys, man. I'm excited. Um, I'm excited. Thanks for having us. Let's go. All right. So just because the mic is tilted towards Gabe right now, Gabe, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners and just tell us a quick story of how you got into real estate and how'd you get into development? All right. So, I mean, never really intended on ending up in this field, right? I mean, you just growing up, I grew up in a city called Ever, Massachusetts, ever just a, a suburb of Boston, not of Boston, but close to Boston. And I just, you know, always used to walk around the city and whenever i go to the city or i went to manhattan when i was younger i was going crazy i was like wow like how does how does these buildings get built like who builds these buildings who finances these buildings like is it just one person like they must be super rich this is super unattainable and then as you get older you just start realizing how how things work and how finances run and then you get into the whole thing of funds and how people raise money to do things and i'm like wow okay now i get it like no nobody not one person is funding any one project any big skyscraper that you see so it's it's just a it, it was kind of an epiphany to me in a moment so i i didn't take the traditional route of just buying like a single family and just flipping it my first real estate transaction I ever did was a piece of land in Everett that I purchased for like nine hundred and fifty or sixty thousand around there, and Whoa. I got it approved for twenty units, a five-story structure for twenty units, and I have three affordable units in that one, and that was my first real estate transaction, and I've from there I just done everything from condo conversions to luxury single family flips and now i'm doing townhouses so i i, I like this whole uh this whole game because it's it's like the, the sky's the limit you now most people are limited based off like the amount of money that they have but i just look at the world completely different like i just hit the powerball and i'm just looking for deals to buy and ways to flip the bag and it's uh pretty clarifying once you understand that at that point you're just looking for deals all day long. Yeah, I hit the dude. I almost want to hit pause right away because your first transaction was almost a million bucks, dude. Yeah. That's like mind breaking for some folks to even wrap their heads around. It's like, oh, a million bucks. So I'm gonna pause there because I'm definitely gonna come back to that, Gabe, because I really want to ask you how did you overcome that fear of breaking into almost a million dollar transaction? That's like a little mind breaking for me just to understand. It was just like wild. Um, Ivan, let, let's get your story. And again, we're coming right back to you, man. Just I want to talk about mindset with both of you guys. 
Great. I've been in the service industry all through high school, worked in restaurants. And then 19, I worked in nightclubs, bartending, managing DJs. And we're actually a lot of my business partners now and mentors who I still work with today, I've met. So I've been fortunate in that sense. And anybody who's been in nightlife or the service industry, real estate's really a natural progression. So that's how I got into it. You know, a lot of the people I work with today, I met through the clubs. So it was pretty cool, including my mentor whose office we're at right now, actually. So we're in a, we're in a, two, we're in a high rise right now. We have the condo space below. And I used to party at one of the, the units in the 15th floor. And then it ended up being my mortgage mentor's house who introduced me to my developer mentor's office, which is down here, you know? We just hang out. Oh my God. These this is like these stories are fire, guys. Yeah. This yeah. is like we'll, such we'll great stories. Today, though. <laughs> but you guys have such a typical path, right? Typically, what I've seen some folks where where they either have a W-2 job, they become a wholesaler, and then they become a fix and flipper, then become like single family buying hope, blah, blah, blah. You guys have taken very atypical paths. So, Gay, let's come back to you. First transaction, 900 grand. Like why? Well, why didn't you go after like a hundred grand home somewhere and out of state in, in, in like a lower cost of living? Tell us a little bit what was going through your head. Um, so I actually really kind of started this journey even shortly after graduating high school. I went to a community college and I wasn't really satisfied. So I started a business out there and I, I started understanding how business is done and you know, valuations and cash flow and cap rates and all that kind of stuff. So it was actually pretty, pretty easy. So I, I, and then I ran into Grant Cardone and his big thing was, if you're not getting anything, at least 16 units, don't get anything at all. Like, don't even bother. <laughs> you have to get scale. I don't know if, if you remember him saying that back in the day. He's like, listen, it has to be at least 16 units. And I took that to heart and I was like, all right, cool. So I was only looking after big things. Like, sure. Like, I mean, I, I, I found deals that were cool you know you can make a hundred grand it's a couple a couple hundred grand in the deal but it was really interesting to me knowing that like i can basically get 16 units in one transaction and have one closing one loan like like and and the building is valued at a different way so it's 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 like there's four different exits there i don't want i don't like having just one exit so for me 900 grand 960 grand i mean for me in my head it was I just reverse engineered the whole thing. I'm like, okay, what if I can put this building up and I have this 20 units cash flowing? What will that be worth? So just reverse engineering it, there was millions of dollars in equity to be made in that building. And then it's just, okay, all right, what do I need to execute on this? Okay, well, can I even build this? First question is you have to go through zoning. You have to get variances. You have to get special permits from the city and the towns that you know that oversee everything and i started and i saw that right so i started understanding zoning and i was going to the meetings like every month in, in my city and i was seeing like what kind of things people are getting approved for what kind of things people are getting denied for what is the precedent that is being set because even though the zoning code says one thing well the guy down the street or the guy two doors down is on the same zoning code as me and has the same lot size that I do. And he got X approved with all of these things, you know, the same parking ratio, the same height, the same story amount, the same unit count, the same bedroom count. You know, all this is just a, you know, like a formula and a ratio. So I have an idea of what the towns want and talking to people and seeing what the board members are saying, what they want in the town. It's just reverse engineering there and seeing hidden value and, lot sizes versus what you can build there how you can max it out i mean dude i i think there's so much to unpack there but I, if i were to let the listeners know like what they need to really pay attention to first of all you set your standard right that's what i heard you're like nothing lower than 16 units 100 percent, amazing then you said let me go read some building and zoning stuff and you and, and most people would never even pick up that's that stuff because they're like no, this is too dry. This isn't for me. Not only did you do that, but you also showed up to the local meetings and governments actually yep. listened to what was going on and you just absorbed it like a sponge. And man, dude, man, most like, people don't do that because they, most people don't do that because they don't think that they can actually do it. 
Like if you, if I mm -hmm. didn't think that I can actually pull this off, do you think that I would be going to these meetings and looking up zoning codes and looking at what other projects are getting approved and talking to the, those, those developers and getting the feedback, you know, like I talked to people that were getting stuff denied, people that are getting stuff approved. So most people don't believe they can do it. So they don't go deep into, okay, can I actually build this building? Wow. I mean, that's just such a great tactical advice there is like, not only do you need to believe you got to set standards, you got to go out and then do the work. And then it's almost like if you do enough of the work, there's it's almost impossible to not succeed. You you fall on your face every once in a while, but it's almost impossible not to succeed. Um, Ivan, let's go to you now. Let, let's talk about you were in the nightlife industry and you you got in touch with great people that were willing to mentor you. For folks out there, there's plenty of people in the service industry, right? Like what kind of tactical tips can you can you give them? Like, hey, and just based on your experience, like how you ended up where you are today, like what are some big lessons or some big tactical steps that they should implement in, in their yeah, lives? Yeah, just today? it's pretty simple. Just be nice to everybody and just don't screw anybody over. It's pretty simple. It's there's no rocket science, there's no secret sauce. Um, real quick, it's funny. He mentioned Grant Cardone. When I transitioned, I watched every single one of his videos and he got me fired up. And this is actually why I'm working in this brokerage. So I do, we're owned by a very large developer out of Chicago. They built size skyscrapers everywhere and I do acquisitions for them. So going back to shooting for the stars, I mean, I was looking at billion dollar deals very early on. I was trying to sell the State Street building at one point, not knowing what I was doing. You know, I was just, I was trying everything and you know, I shot for the stars. And that's an understatement. I used to go crazy. And with that, I learned a lot, you know, like just rushing through deals, not fully understanding them, not having the right to sell it. You know, I just, I just went all in. <laughs> <laughs> but I think people underestimate the part where you said you just got to be nice to everyone. Cause this is what I tell people all the time. Even like I got some friends that are still in corporate jobs and they're like, Hey, what advice do you have? I was like, dude, the number one reason or number one excuse that I hear people say is like, hey, I don't have the money, right? Real estate isn't for me because I don't have the money. It's a, it's a rich person's game only. But had they have known that all around all of their colleagues, the way that they are presenting themselves every day, the way that they are working every single day, someone's watching, right? Someone's looking at how what kind of person you are. And if you, you are not a nice person, chances are they're going to remember that. And you will never be able to raise capital from those folks. Right. But and the first you were job nice actually... Oh, sorry, no, let me cut you off. The first job I had actually in real estate when I first started is so my best friend, he's a, he's a musician. He has some investment properties, one of which was in, um, in Brockton, Massachusetts. Because he liked my work ethic and the way I hustled, he's like, Ivan, you just started. You know, I'm going to introduce you to everybody I know in real estate, including one of my biggest partners now that I do foreclosures with and other people. But the first job I ever had was managing his three, three unit in Brockton, which were all Section 8 tenants. And I learned very early on what real estate was just dealing with that property, you know, and then re buying some at foreclosure, inheriting Section 8 tenants as well down the road. So that prepped me for everything moving forward, how people are, you know, being what a property owner means, how to deal with your tenants, how to take care of them, navigating the housing authority, you know. I mean, I'm so glad you brought up your Section 8 tenants right now. We can kind of pivot a little bit and just get an understanding from you. What was your experience with your Section 8 tenants? Because one of the fights that I'm trying to dispel right now, Ivan and Gabe, is like people have this association that Section 8 tenants are going to trash your homes all the time. It's only guns, drugs, and drama. It's only the projects. I'm curious, like, what was your experience like with your Section 8 tenants? So that goes for everybody. You know, tenants are tenants. Some are bad, some are good. And that's really what it is at the end of the day. Me personally, every single Section 8 tenant I've come across, which is limited, I'm no expert in the field by any means, but each one of them are just good people. They take care of their homes. They have children. You know, it's their space. They go to work. They go home. They just, they want to relax there. That's their home. And, you know, things will pop up, you know, for inspections. If things go wrong, you know, you as a landlord have to address that right away in the best way possible, you know, path of leisure assistance kind of thing. And it's really just the communication with, your section eight tenants or any tenants gets the job done but i've never come across a bad bad tenant like no one's being malicious or anything in my personal mm. experience i've heard mm. horror stories sure everybody has but me personally it's, it's it's how you talk to them really yeah you just gotta treat them like humans that's all 100%. it is it's just humanity at its most basic level and when have you like had these tenants turn over already have you had to get new tenants screen new tenants i'm just interested like 
uh, have you had the same tenants like forever, I guess. So, I'll get, so the first one I had, so my buddy's like, all right, you're starting real estate. Why don't you manage my property in Brockton? He lived in Nashville, actually LA, then Nashville, because he's in music. So I was like, okay, sure. I'm like, all right. I had no idea what I was doing. So I get in there. I was like, holy smokes. Like, what did I get myself into? But, you know, and he also told me, just show up. If you don't know anything, ask. So I just kind of learned, you know, on, on the fly. So my first one was a three family in Brockton. That was just pure management. Deal with the tenants, what they need, make sure the rents are paid, make sure everything passes inspection when they come up or, you know, any, any repairs needed. That was pretty simple because my dad does a little bit of handy work. So, you know, I, I put him there and we took care of business. So that's that, you know, pretty simple. And when he ended up selling the house, I made sure all the tenants were cool. They knew what was going on. I made sure the next uh, landlord takes care of them, gave them a little history on who the tenants are, how they operate. And it was pretty straightforward. I can't oh, emphasize on communication enough. And then my second major one is a property I bought at auction. It was four units, two commercial, and then two residential units above. And they both happened to be Section 8 tenants. And we bought that during COVID. So it was- Wow, okay. Yeah, that was in Somerville, Massachusetts. So with the, what'd you call it? The, um, what do they call it? When you, they didn't uh, let you- uh, when you couldn't evict anybody, I forgot what it was called. Oh, the um, oh, yeah, eviction yeah, moratorium. Yeah, the, the moratorium. Sorry. Yeah. So <laughs> during that, you, we bought, you know, you, oh, auction properties, you have the clothes on it without access and all that. So we bought it right. So we were cool holding it without any income or not knowing what the income was. So they ended up being two Section 8 tenants. And it was a challenge for the first year not being able to communicate. And also the previous owner was still collecting the rents because it's direct deposited through the housing authorities. So we didn't have rents for the first year. And then come the, and then we trusted the property manager to do it. And then uh, I went there for a showing randomly one time because we were trying to sell it. And I just saw how he was dealing with the tenants, like banging on the door, like, you know, just being super rude. I was like, dude, what are you doing? And so I came back, I think a week after just to kind of properly introduce myself, which I haven't come to find out, you know, the sink was broken, the hot water heater was broken. I was like, guys, I'm so sorry. Fixed it right away. And I'm I'm we text all the time. You know, we're homies now. I mean the tenants. Yeah. I have no acts, I have no problem showing it. They actually want to get out of there because they don't want to go up and down the stairs. They have disabled kids on both units. They just don't want to be there. And had that been communicated early on, it would have been seamless. No, and man, they, I, they, I, they, were, they were a little delayed too. So I, I'm in direct communication with their their representatives through housing, their case managers, and everybody's pretty easy to work with, to be honest. I mean, that's kind of great that you have a case manager that's easy to work with. And, uh, uh, you know, thank you for having such a kind heart. I think it's really important for people to understand that you guys are humans. It's not like this landlord versus tenant thing that the media plays out to be all the time. Like there are great people just like Ivan are out there. Um, and then I have since one we more story, a close friend of mine, um, Gabe knows him as well. So they, you know, when they, they do these developments, so where my friends live, it's predominantly all affordables, but they have one of the condos as a market rate. So they bought that. And the one next to them, it's uh, it's a deed restricted unit. So it's an affordable condo across the street are all the housing, all affordable. Going back to the guns and the violence and all that. I mean, I hang out at their house all the time. The neighbors are cool. Everybody's nice, cordial. They share, you know, like cookouts and stuff. So there's no guns or gangs. And this is it's Chelsea, Massachusetts, but it's not that bad. I mean, I'm there at night all the time. Yeah, and I, and I used to be an EMT right in Greater Boston or Everett, Somerville, Chelsea. You you tell me all about it. Like there are great people in all of these neighborhoods. They're not. It's just not that stigma is just not correct. There there are more good people than bad. Let's just kind of uh, say it like that. Um, Library Street. That's where it is. <laughs> so it's, it's it's all up in the mix, you know. But everybody's cool there. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, Gabe, we, we talked about uh, your developments. You mentioned that you had a set aside for your developments. Help the audience understand what do these set asides even mean? And if you are able to explain it, like help us explain like, what's the difference between affordable and these set asides. Just educate the listeners a little bit on what that means. Okay. So in my specific uh project that we were talking about earlier it's a 20 unit building so uh different cities have different requirements of if it's over an x amount of number of units you have to have a certain percentage of those units set aside to be affordable right so in 
that city specifically, it's 15%. So I have 20 units. Three of them have to be affordable and it has to be a affordable rate. So I have to do a lottery and pick people like that. And, you know, it's, it's a way to ensure that, you know, a, a way to meet the, the goals of the city to try to get more affordable housing. Right. And in that city specifically, there wasn't much affordable housing in, to begin with. And it's usually just uh, an older neighborhood with just two and three families all over. And if you wanted some sort of affordable housing, you have to be somebody's roommate in a three in a three bedroom in a triple decker. So, you know, and, it, and it's expensive. I have people that that rent like three bedroom units over there. It's like three grand, thirty five hundred dollars a month. Like and it's it's not new buying or remodel. It's just like old and it's expensive because the only actually the only affordable housing development that the, that did come up was uh, St. Teresa's over in on Broadway in Everett. So it was a, it was a church. And they came in and they did it. I don't know if it was a hundred percent. It might have been eighty or a hundred percent affordable housing. And they had all those units was for rent, and they had six townhouses or five or six townhouses that were for sale as well. And so, because it's affordable, <laughs> see, like that's where we come into the, like the issue, right? Those houses needed to be sold for an X amount so it can be considered affordable right so in the in that case i think it was two hundred sixty-five thousand. I i don't know about you kent but can you build a brand new affordable housing like a three-story townhouse for 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 less than two hundred sixty-five thousand and make some money on the sale man that's tough man that's tough to make some money and pay some like because you still there are for-profit corporations in the world right? there's plenty right Apple is a for-profit company, and we use the iPhones every single day. There needs to be a profit uh, to incentivize yeah. the right behavior. And we've been building like 200 grand in a, an apartment, not a triple-decker, right? So that is in of itself very, very slim margins. And sometimes it does not incentivize that behavior because some people will just say, well, what's the point of me going through all this work? Uh getting the land, underwriting the deal, uh, getting all my entitlements, going through all the zoning processes and changes and variances, blah, blah, blah. That's a whole, whole big time commitment, not just on a monetary standpoint. So that could make it very difficult. I completely understand that. Yeah, I mean, and I see it all the time. So I go to these meetings all the time and I have these a bunch of projects that I'm going forward. And, you know, you hear a lot of people talking about, you know, the, how they want more affordable housing, right? A lot of these cities want more affordable housing well when a developer at least where i'm from brings forth a uh a proposal to to be able to build a building that's going to make him some money to be able to be worth it for him to go through all that time spend that time money and like a hassle to get everything done and in the meantime give some affordable housing to the community you have neighbors that come by and say how they don't want anything in their backyard. They don't want any, anything changed. I've been living there for 30 years. I don't want any new housing. Like I don't, I don't want you to transform a two family house into a 20 unit building. That's going to be three affordable housing, which is good for the city. Right? So it, it becomes a little tricky where back in the day, you know, they used to build statues of the people that founded the towns and, and, and and built all these buildings nowadays they crucify us for even trying to attempt to try to be able to af bring more affordable housing units to the city and a lot of the times i see they say hey because the neighbors are complaining they don't want that uh why don't you try to reduce the amount of units or reduce the size of the project well the only thing that that's going to do is reduce the amount of affordable housing units as well so unless there's some sort of compromise that you can come forth with and have the city or somebody else give you incentives to be able to provide more affordable housing units. That's the only way you can actually make it work, especially nowadays with the interest rates being the way that they are, with the construction prices being the way that they are, and just taking all this time just to get a permit. It's it's tough. Yeah, and I think this is why there needs to be so much more cooperation and when there's a mountain of work already, 
on top of just the administrative and compliance tasks to get development done. Then you also have the neighbors that are fighting you. And now all of a sudden it's like, hey, do you, at what point do you try to minimize that sort of noise? Because you're trying to move the neighborhood towards a greater good. Like we are changing communities by putting in development and revitalizing communities and putting in affordable housing, not just for a certain population, but it's most of the time it's like the workforce. It's the, the workers that you need in your city to thrive, your bus drivers, your restaurant workers. Every one of these folks need good housing, your teachers, EMTs, exactly. firefighters, whatever it is, you, you need housing for them. Otherwise, you are draining the city of the housing it desperately needs for everything. So, um, First of all, I commend you on you guys just like going through this process because it sounds like you're pulling teeth <laughs> at a dentist's yeah. office. It really does. You're fighting everybody on every single angle. And you're just like, I'm not the bad guy here, guys. I'm not. <laughs> I'm man, just trying yeah, to provide you, some good you get, you get eaten alive at some of these meetings, man. <sighs> it's like people say some crazy stuff to you just because you're trying to build something in their neighborhood or on their street. Yeah. And the reason I really love this affordable housing thing is like, I really thought about like, hey, no joke, not cliche at all. It's like on a day I die, how will I feel at peace? And we've heard some sometimes uh, that generational wealth only lasts like three generations. And I wish people would think about like, hey, somewhere down my family line, there might be someone that needs help, someone that might have needed affordable housing. Do I really want to be the person that said no to something that is meant to help people and might have housed a future family member down for me, right? That's how I try to couch it and help people understand. It's it's so much more long term. It goes beyond all of us. It's it's for just the greater good of humanity. And I think that's something that we just got to keep working on and keep delivering messages. Is why I have this podcast to bring you guys on to hear about the difficulties that developers go through. Because sometimes that story just doesn't get told. We bring on developers and people that used to live in affordable housing, so we will get a, a complete understanding, a comprehensive understanding of the entire ecosystem related to affordable housing. Um, yeah, real quick, your story is actually why we want to work with you because we're both immigrants too. Mm -hmm. You know, when we got here, I, I wasn't in housing, but we, we lived in someone's basement for a little while when we got here, you know? So we get in your story living in the mass bike towers in Chinatown. That's like, I know this guy's all in. That's why we're going above and beyond contacting all our resources. Like the gentleman you met a little while ago, who we'll have on the podcast at some point, hop on board, you know, we just want yeah, to and we execute on this for sure for you. Oh man, we, we can do it together because I have just been incredibly blessed. Like I thought about quitting this podcast, to be honest with you guys, like two months in because I wasn't, I had like five views the first month. Right. And it's like disheartening. It's like, <laughs> Hey, no one cares. It confirmed all your fears. Hey, no one cares about this. I thought people would care, but no one cares. And then now we are, uh, after a year, we got like 1100 listeners on Apple. We got uh, another 1200 on YouTube, got 2000 followers for it. And it's it's been really inspiring. And honestly, it's it's allowed us to create a community that attracts people like you guys that also sees a light at the end of the tunnel and says, hey, I want to be part of the contribution to that light. We don't need to all be self-serving and only bask in our own glory. It's like, hey, we can all do this together and do a much greater good. It's like, at the end of the day, when I talk to you guys, it's like, hey, we both don't need each other, but Dude, we could do some crazy things together. And that's really, really impactful. Um, and I think that just comes from sharing for each other's stories. Um, maybe this is a good transition point because one of the biggest things that I always try to ask people and so our listeners can learn from is like just about mistakes. And maybe Ivan, we'll go, we'll start with you on this one first. What's been like a, a big mistake, one or two that you have made in your investment career? What did you learn from them? And what can you kind of teach teach the listeners? Just overall, in general, I think rushing into things, not analyzing every dealer situation thoroughly, you know, it creates false hope and it just wastes everybody's time. And I'm sure we're all guilty a bit. So my advice is honestly, just slow down, take a step back. And if you don't know, just ask. And going back to the, the team dynamic, no one can do it alone. I mean, each real estate transaction, there's at least seven plus people, you know, retail, there's a buy side attorney. So true. There's an appraiser, there's the bank, there's the realtors, you know, so you can't do it alone. So the, the, the more you well, you work well with others, the easier it is. It's already, it's, it's tough. You know, you're selling real estate, you're selling dinosaur land that's been here without, you know, before us, that will be here after us. It's, it's pretty wild. It's a wild game, you know, so well, just be well, nice to everybody really. 
Yeah, yeah well, I mean, you talked yeah. about not rushing through things. Like, what what were you rushing? Were you like analyzing a deal too quick? Were you trying to propose something to somebody that might not have been fully baked? Tell us a little bit more details there. I'm pretty impatient in general. Gabe will tell you. Like when I <laughs> the, so my reminders on my phone, I have these bullet lists. If I don't, I, I go through it every 30 minutes. I hound people all day long. That's what I do, you know. But sometimes, like especially in the beginning, when you see these big deals and you're like, oh, I just got to sell this. Let me send it to everybody kind of thing. Not even underwriting it. You look stupid. Like the deal's upside down before it even started. You know, even if they gave you the land for free, it wouldn't make sense kind of thing. So just really wow. taking a look at it instead of just blasting addresses or whatever. Because I do quite a bit of wholesaling. I did auctions mm -hmm. early on. Lucky enough to, for someone to teach me everything in that side. And, you know, I've been in some auctions where I overbid, you know, which is pretty dangerous because you could lose a deposit. You know, luckily I got to retract it or got my deposit back, but I've come very close to losing a lot of money in some of these deals just by rushing and just, you know, just being hungry or just chasing that deal or just getting a deal from another broker. Not even, you know, I do a lot of off market stuff, not checking even on MLS if it's on market. Come to find out five minutes later, the, the developer I sent it to, because I do acquisitions, I do a lot of acquisitions mm. and dispo. Come to find out, you know, they text me later, bro, this has been on market for three days. I was like, oh, damn, I should have checked. <laughs> You know, like, hey, this oh. is exclusive for just for you. <laughs> and it's been on market for three days. <laughs> you know? So now I, I've learned to kind of take a step back, just analyze everything. And there there really is no rush, you know. You well, I have 14 days to close. So now you just brought up a great point. Like now you said, hey, slow down, analyze the deal, take your time with it. But how do you balance that with not having analysis paralysis, right? That's another big issue that a lot of folks hear. They have a lot of fear for some reason. And I think it's just part of you didn't practice enough, right? It's like, how how do you prepare to go out of a game? You practice, you shoot enough threes, you shoot enough free throws, and chances are your your chances of success are a little bit higher. But most people are still too afraid. They just keep analyzing and analyzing and analyzing, but they never pull the trigger. So what helped you finally decide like, okay, I now know my stuff and let me put in an offer. Yes, help, I've, help I've, always been a, I've always been a relationship person. I've always thrived on that. Most of my friends I work with that I've known for a very long time, I still work with today, meaning from even from high school days or the nightlife days, I work with everybody. So what that is, going back to my friend who let me manage his property, the three units in Brockton, he was really my first real estate men mentor outside of Grand Cardone, you know, and then he plugged me in with his, his one of his best friends that's doing a lot of foreclosures, who knows everything about foreclosures. And he taught me everything, you know, and my mentor now for developments, Gabe's a mentor of mine. So what you do is just find someone who's an expert in that space. Just find a mentor. That, that's really it. Ask for help. Just show up for that person, do clerical, whatever, admin stuff, sweep the floor, empty the trash in return, you know, get that knowledge. So that, that's really it. You can't, you, you're never going to do it alone. Like, you can analyze a million deals. If you don't see one executed in front of you by someone who's actually in, in the space doing it, you're not going anywhere. Yeah, I think everybody needs a mentor like that. It's because sometimes people undervalue. It's not necessarily analysis process. It's more of the support that you don't have, the actual vote of confidence that you can rely on someone to take that extra step when that next step looks so scary. Like Alvin taught me everything I knew about development. And, and that's just simply because one day I co-DM'd him to come onto the podcast. And I was like, oh my God. And and then we just built a relationship off of that. And we've known each other for almost a year now. So that's how I was able to build my relationships by like, hey, I knew I wanted to get to development. I knew I wanted to make a big impact on affordable housing. And the only way to do that is by sometimes building the number right. of units that you let, want Let to me ask you a it. question. How good yeah. does it feel? How good does it feel to teach and help someone who wants to be taught, who you know will, will, will be there for you once he's oh. gained that knowledge from you? Oh my God, it's it's like life-changing. So it's actually very easy to find a mentor. If if you truly dedicate yourself and you, you say you're ready for this, mm -hmm. I want to work for this mentor or work with this mentor, it's pretty easy because they're gonna love teaching you that. You know, they're gonna they're gonna learn from you too, like all the stuff, the experiences they've had prior. They're gonna re rehash all that and you can actually you actually grow together, which is what's yeah. happening with us and everybody we're working with now. Yeah. Like we work and with a lot so of people cool. 20, 30 years our senior, and they just love working with us because we just fire everybody up every day. Let's we show go. up. That's the thing. Just show up. Just show up. You got to show up. up. You got to have the right energy. You can. You find. You figure out ways how to add value to the team, and One, that it, sometimes is like, hey, yeah. they need some help thinking through that. You just put some thought together. You structure a conversation, and voila, magic happens right there. Empty the trash. Vacuum the office. Clean the windows. I love that. It doesn't matter. Just just show up. Yeah.
If you want to get in the right room, you get in the right room. And that's why uh, I'll make sure you guys meet Alvin. But Alvin's story was like he he cold called this guy every single week for over a year before that guy would take him on as mentee. This was like 20, 30 years ago. And if had he had not done that, he would have never broken into the multifamily space, the nonprofit space, and et cetera. It's like that level of determination cannot be faked. And I think that's how you realize like whether or not someone's truly worth your time to spend on. Uh, wow, I love that we just got into like whole conversation about mentorship. Like that, that was that was good, guys. That was good. Um, Gabe, how about you, man? What kind of mistakes have you made in your career, and what can the listeners take away from that? Um, I made a ton of mistakes, dude. I mean, working with me, working with Ivan, <laughs> for sure. So, I'll tell you my most recent one. Well, maybe not a mistake, but maybe a blunder. Garage. No, no, he's talking about something else of a single family that I barely made money on in Newton. <laughs> <laughs> and he's trying to say because it wasn't, I didn't put a garage on there, but no, no, there, there's no house in that entire neighborhood that has a garage. But I mean, I guess you can say that was a mistake, whatever. There was no room in the budget, anyways. Um, I mean, I just got a building that I was going to put nine units on denied. Just like I said, because of the neighbors were, you know, causing oh, a man. ruckus. You That's know, tough. I mean, it's not, but the beautiful part about it is that like I under, I always underwrite the deals based off the worst case scenario. And in this case, the worst case scenario ended up being the best case scenario because uh, at this point, I'm going to try to um, put over fi uh, five townhouses over there in in that in that area in that same lot and it's going to be actually a better deal it makes the, the numbers make a, a lot better friend sons doing that but and and another thing i have to say too is not, don't over leverage dude like just because you can get a loan for 10 percent down doesn't mean you should like i i see a lot of people like preaching like oh like no money down uh loans and stuff like that like you, you run like because if if you if you can't understand the way that the market is, like by you zooming out and seeing what's actually going on, you, you should you need to have a skin in the game. I always believe that like wholeheartedly. I talk to some of my mentors and some of the people that I know that are most successful, and most of them come to like a an average of I'm gonna have to have at least thirty percent equity. Like I'm putting at least thirty percent down, sometimes more, maybe fifty. Oh heck, maybe I, I, I might just buy a cash. So a lot of people will underwrite a deal based off of, oh, yeah, I just need to raise 10% down for the land. I'll get 100% for the construction. And then, like, when, dude, you're like 99% leveraged. <laughs> like, you have zero money in the game. You're getting eaten alive by holding costs. So just, just kind of zoom out a little bit and see, like, what is that worth? You know, I think, like, 10% down is cool, but I, people – I feel like it's a cool thing in the last couple of years. People got used to that. Oh, I'm going to put 10% down. Interest rates are so low. I'm just going to lock it in or something. And I, I, I believe that somebody should have a, a pretty good amount of skin in the game. You know, like if you don't, you're th th there's a reason for that, you know? Yeah. Well, l let me, let me back up a little bit. Cause I want to make sure I, I catch your story about the nine units that didn't get approved. Nice. Which the town was because for some people listening right now, right. They will never get started because of that fear that you just talked about. Where it says, hey, what if this doesn't get approved? <laughs> All so, right. Right? Because that, that is the biggest fear. And that's one reason someone will never get started. But you just showed how you pivoted from that situation and turn it into something. So just give us a little bit more detail. Well, it, that, it was all you, planned out. I mean, it's mm -hmm. just like, it's, it's, I always knew that that could be what I fall on. Right? Mm -hmm. And I mean, let's say I get to that meeting and they tell me to go screw myself. It's like, I mean, that house is still renting and still cash flowing right now. Like it, like it's, it, it's. I'm not losing any money on that home. I'm actually making a profit on that house every month. Got it. So you had a home, and it was already a rental. And then yeah. you said, "Let me tear this down and turn it into a non-unit." That was one exit strategy. And if that wasn't going to work out, then you went to build townhomes. Am I catching well, that correctly? First, I did. I tried to do twenty, <laughs> and then okay, got it. And then they were like, "Oh, maybe that's a little bit too much." I'm like, "All right, all right, I'll do nine. Like made sense, and then I mean, I I mean, I knew there was always a possibility of me be not being able to get it approved based off like so so much feedback from the mayor, I'm mean, from the neighbors, but 
it's it, I, I knew that the possibilities are like hey like if like all comes to worse like i mean i can put like uh five townhouses over here like it's it's good for that like that specific zoning i'm not really limited too much of uh in far's or height restrictions or stories restrictions i can uh it's pretty flexible on on that end compared to 99 of the city so I mean, and like I said, if they still they're like, no, I don't want that. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm still cash flowing on that on on that two family unit and it's still making money. So like I, I'm not gonna put myself in a position that it's either I do what I'm planning on doing or I lose money or I get burned. Like I'm not I'm not gonna put myself in that position. So you always have to say, dude, worst case scenario, what happens? Like they tell me, Nope, you're not doing anything. All right, well, so you're not so you're not caught off guard most cases people the way people mitigate stuff like that for development is they'll have a contingency like when they submit the offer that is going to be hey listen i'm gonna this is what i'm planning on doing i'm trying to do this this and this uh will you take the ride with me and i'll give you this amount and usually it's more money than what the house would be worth right but uh that's how people mitigate that risk but in this environment or a lot of environments a lot of the times that you know like it's like you can do something people just want to get out at the end of the day people don't want to wait a year or two to close on the property and like, but so it gets a little bit tricky on that uh, a lot of the times you just kind of have to bite the bullet and be like hey listen i'm gonna buy, I'm gonna buy this deal it makes sense if nothing happens but it makes even more sense if something does come out of it yeah and i, and I love that you gave some tactical tips there for the listeners to take away from that it's like hey plan out multiple exit strategies don't just assume that your your best case scenario is going to work out but then at the same time, you got to be prepared to deliver, make the case for your developments to to achieve the units, give you your best effort. But if it all falls backwards, it's okay. You can kind of have something to fall yeah. onto. But uh, now, I mean, you have hinted uh, a lot of issues there, Gabe. Like, what do you think are the biggest challenges when it comes to development? Really curious to kind of hear. Let us build. Let us build. Just give us <laughs> the us green build. light. Let us build. You see how Quirk are going to solve the affordable housing problem if you just let us build. Just let us build. Like that. That's it. At the end of the day, it's like I shouldn't have to jump through a million hoops, like to try to get. Like, okay, I get the whole planning thing. You know, I get. You know, like I, I the city wants to say and the kind of materials and the kind of, you know, like how they want the city to be perceived. I 100% get that. But when I'm like having to jump through hoops to try to put when I'm trying to provide more housing for the city, it shouldn't be as much as an issue as most people don't understand that it is most people will will look at a development in the standpoint of like you, you see it a lot over here in boston oh like oh um something will get announced oh you'll see it a lot in the boston globe or some of these some of these new news articles here in boston oh there's going to be a new building coming up 500 units a thousand units wh whatever the case might be if you look down in the comments you'll see people say oh wow another uh residential building another some more housing that we don't need oh the traffic's going to be bad it's like well it's either you solve one problem or you solve the other right it's like do you do you want the traffic situation or you know it's going to be oh it's going to be too much housing i don't want that next to next to me i lived here for 10 years well i'm just trying to let more people enjoy the city that i grew up in like these the, these places that i'm building like i used to run around there when i was a kid I, I know, you know, I just want more people to be able to live there. My 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 family, when we got to this country, I think I was, I was five years old. We moved into a huge, it was 11 story. It was at the time, it was the tallest building in Everett. And 11 story building. And at the time that that building was getting, at the time that that building was getting uh, approved, it was i think i think i could be wrong but i think it was supposed to be 20 22 stories and then they, they said no that's too big and then they put it down to 11. like if that everybody was against that building at the time but if that place wasn't approved i wouldn't grow up in that neighborhood i wouldn't have gone to that school system i wouldn't like be here to be able to give back to my community if that building wasn't approved right so and that building has tons of uh uh what is it? i think i'm not sure exactly what it was but it's affordable housing or section eight tenants i think like a very very wow. large percentage of that building is actually uh, specifically dedicated to affordable housing 
and you know there's just a lot of good ones out there and like the, the guy that we ran from my parents still live there to this day actually fun fact wow so they, yeah. they live there to this day they still haven't like moved out like i think they were paying like like eleven hundred dollars a month this was like back in 2001 for a two bedroom and, and ever like and since then it's 2023 i think i think he only raised their rent one time and now they're paying like fourteen hundred dollars a month for a two bedroom where it should be down the street like forty four hundred dollars a month man gabe like you know what we should do is get the guy that built the tower for you your family oh man that man that guy's going still he's he's like over 90 yeah. years old he's he's going yeah I see we should him get him on driving around yeah <laughs> Yeah. I completely resonate with your story, man. My my parents are still at Mass Bike Towers in the apartment building where I grew up in. And dude, I want to get the guy or gal or team that built the building for Mass Bike Towers onto the podcast. I really I how many people do you think didn't want that tower? Oh my God. Like probably tons. Yeah. <laughs> and you you wouldn't be and you wouldn't live in Boston. And maybe if it wasn't for that tower, maybe it would have been yeah. too far out of reach, you know? Maybe yeah. you would have been in like another city, you know, like it, it's just it's just crazy you know i just I, I just think that it's 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 super important just to understand that like hey you want to solve this housing crisis just let the builders build like yeah just let us build like you don't see these crisis like as much of these crises is going on in the cities that they encourage building yeah i mean don't get us wrong you can ask questions about what we're about to build it's like hey are there any children's parks or anything like that you can ask those questions <laughs> that's okay you can still ask questions but i think you just got to verify that the intentions of the developers are pure and that's something yeah. that i can go up to anybody and say my intention is always to provide affordable housing safe clean decent affordable housing and that's something that we can all be proud of that all of our parents and family can can live in we would never and I like that you're ever. trying to change the, you know, the meaning of like, well, the stigma, I should say, that mm -hmm. developers have towards even the word affordable housing. Well, like mm -hmm. the first time, first, any developer hears of that word, like, oh, let's build affordable housing. You're like, well, dude, how am I going to make money? Like, yes. how can I afford with today's interest rates, with today's mm -hmm. thing to be able to do that? And you have such a, such a great way of, you know, kind of embracing that and making that into a benefit and i i gotta commend you for that that's that's super interesting and that's uh, a way that i wouldn't have sorry if i didn't meet you uh, oh man I, i'm just blessed i met you guys because this we're yeah. gonna do something really cool now uh, oh a little segue meet... going into that where did i meet you per se like where, can you tell the viewers where i met you i met you in a hallway at a conference called fun launch live that's so, what i did so you're <laughs> saying uh, networking is super important in our in our industry yeah, I went to a conference. I, I didn't even know what a fun was. I knew that I wanted to go there and meet some people and just tell them my story about affordable housing. And I think if you believe in manifestation, destiny, fate, whatever you want to call it, if you don't put yourself out there and tell people what you're trying to do, how can you ever expect to make an impact? How can you ever expect to make a change? It's like, I thought about the example that I'm setting for my daughter. How can I tell her that I want to build affordable housing and if I didn't do the bare minimum to go out there? And for me, I went up to you and talked to you because I was like, all right, I'm spending time away from my daughter. I better make this worth it. I better go talk to somebody. I better find someone that's also caring about affordable housing. 100%. And I'm so, so glad I got to meet both of you. It's, uh, it's truly a blessing. Um, but hey, I didn't forget about you, Ivan. What do you think are the biggest challenges when it comes to development? Uh, it's pretty obvious right now, building costs and interest mm. rates. Pretty, pretty simple. It's funny because one of our main partners is actually a lumber yard, the building supply company, and they're a fairly large operation, not Home Depot, but pretty big. It's called Timberline. They do a lot of North Shore, South Shore. And, you know, we see firsthand what these costs are, what the, where they were at the height of it. So it's, it's, it's crazy. And like Gabe was saying, some deals just don't make sense. Yeah, and it was scary the back then. Build, yeah, the cost of buildings is high right now. The rates are nuts. They tripled, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that must so, have been really scary when lumber went up to like, I forgot how, how much it was like triple or almost five times right during COVID. And there's a lot of developers right now. So development takes some time mm -hmm. to get approved, two, three years sometimes. So a lot of these commercial loans they took out just to acquire the land through entitlement are now going upside down. You know, they locked these in at like the five, six. Now they're like at 10 in some cases. Oh, so like, man. how do you, how do you, you can't even refi that sometimes if it's not approved yet. 
And I think that just shows like you guys have been hammering home. One, don't rush into anything. Two, make sure you have multiple exits. Three, create great relationships with everyone. And then make sure you surround yourself with the right people. And I think, man, you guys, you guys have an all-star team there. And uh, yeah, speak, I really speak, can't. Speaking wait. of speaking of which, the all-star team. So Gabe and I, when we started <laughs> working with each other, we had these mandatory meetings mm-hmm. with everybody we work with. Like all the like, people are just like showing up every day, just killing it. So we used to have these mandatory meetings that grew very large because they would bring their friends they work with, which ultimately turned into what we started was a networking event. And it's an invite only people we've done deals with previous, current mentors, business partners, past, present. And it just grew into something really special where we don't ask for anything. We just want to connect everybody, make sure they do a deal right away or solve a problem. And honestly, it's I mean, this is kind of where you come in as part of our network too. So the more the merrier and the easier it gets once you have access to everything you need. Yeah. Sometimes it's like the ultimate mantra of who, not how. It's like, stop trying to figure out how do I do this? And you're spending all this time when you can ask Gabe, like, hey, Gabe, you've read through all the building codes and the zoning regulations. <laughs> what do you think we can do here, right? That's why I it's- hang with them every day. <laughs> dude, dude, it's like, you think in my early 20s, I'm going to be able to, to build a building, a $10 million building with not having even built anything in my life. I, n- I never even built a treehouse as a kid. Like I have no idea in building like what, what it is. Cause I'm not a builder. So like that, who, not how it's, it, it, it hits me because it's like, I, I, you know, it's, you find people that are going to be able to do what you're going to do. Like, what, what do you think is going to be quicker? Me partnering up with somebody that's done this for 30 years or me getting 30 years worth of experience to be able to do this. So I, I bring people in that are way smarter than me, have way more experience than me and supplement. And I make it frictionless and easy for, for us to make money together. You know, I just make it simple. I tie up everything with a nice little bowl on top and say, hey, listen, this is what we're doing. Can you help me? This is what's in it for you. It's 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 really simple. People mm-hmm. just need to zoom out for a second and 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 what they think that they're like what their weaknesses are. Uh, hey, I can't do this because of this. I can't do this because I don't have any money. I can't do this because I don't have any experience. How many times do you hear that when you're when you're talking to people? Like, man, it's like most people like, hey, yeah, I want to get into real estate, but I don't have any money. It's like, well, do you even know what the, what a good deal is, even if it slapped you in the mm-hmm. face? Like. Yes. You know, like people like will stop their thought process right then and there and not further explore the possibilities of what a good deal even looks like because they're so focused on the fact that like, hey, I don't have money. I'm going to worry about that when I have enough money to worry about that. And what ends up happening for most people is they never have enough money to worry about that. So they never further their education on how to better themselves and how to propel themselves in a situation that they never could have thought of just because they're too worried about how they don't have enough money and they can't do anything because they don't have enough money. Well, let's pretend you did. What would you do? Is like what I always tell people. Like, what would you do? You just hit the Powerball today. What are you going to (laughs) do? You know? So you're like, I'm going, I'm going to vacation. Blah, blah, blah. Well, yeah, aside from the obvious, you know, I'm going to buy some houses and some cars and a, and a boat, whatever. But, you know, like, how are you going to, like, you know, you can end up losing all that money or how you can flip that back. Like, what are you going to do? Yeah. So, yeah. Real quick, so Gabe's building partner, very large one. This kid just showed up there every day just to chop it up with him. You know, you should just find someone to not even mentor. You just hang around the right people, offer mm-hmm. your help, just if you can work for someone great that's already killing it that's really the sauce it's yeah. easy after that just show up and just grind they'll teach you everything and i'm so glad you guys brought up this stuff like this is the reason like um just like two weeks ago i started underwriting a deal single family homes for section eight specifically every day going live underwriting a deal and i simply tell the people that listen in, i'm like hey look the calculator it's yours call me if you email me if you want it all you need to do is learn my process, how I analyze a deal. So you recognize when a good deal is actually going to come up and then go share with somebody. I'm, I don't want any piece of your deal. The only reason I do this is because we're trying to set up a career path and we created a community. It's called Affordable Housing and Real Estate Investing. It's a free Facebook group. We set it up so that people can come in, learn from the lives every single day and simply say, hey, I know how to spot a deal now because I've watched three of Kent's lives or whatever. right? And if you just learn a little bit about underwriting, now all of a sudden you are one step ahead of somebody else in terms of underwriting. And now for an experienced person like Ivan and Gabe, if you ever learn how to do underwriting for development, 
I'm sure Gabe and Ivan will take you up like, okay, well, underwrite these deals for me. Because th- guess what? You're probably going to save them 30 minutes every single day for every single deal that you underwrite. And I think time is so precious. So you just got to figure out how you underwrite a deal. I never wrote, underwrote a development deal until Alvin taught me. And the next time a deal came through, I literally watched his video that he put online, learned it from beginning to end, put in my own spin on it, and then brought it to him almost 80% complete. And I said, hey, these are all the questions that I've had. It shows that you put in thought. And then you also shows that you are willing to add value to somebody. And I kind of say this all a lot as an example, because I kind of want to know, like, Ivan, Gabe, you guys are very successful people now. What are you guys still looking for in your business? Wait, before we get there, it's funny. We have a couple <laughs> of interns who are training. And yeah. the first thing we teach them is how to underwrite like three to six unit deals. Yes. What we refer to is the Section 8 website per bedroom count per zip code. So I'm like, here's a property. All right. These are the bedroom counts. And they do it the same way. They have to write down the full page every single time. So it, it's yes. Too, and that's it. Because Section 8 is guaranteed. You know what I mean? That's government money guaranteed. But what are we looking for now? Right. Just sharing our resources, honestly, helping as many people as possible. Not every everybody will give back, but the good one, you don't want to work with those people anyways, not in a bad way, but the more you share with everybody, the more it'll come back. And it's these networking events we've been throwing, they just keep getting bigger and bigger, starting just from the meetings in our office that got overwhelming. There will be like 30, 40 people here, you know, and it's all just solid people who truly want to help each other. Like we have a brothership almost where my, my mom's hot water tank exploded yesterday. The guys were there the next day, you know, they're helping wow. navigate through insurance and all that stuff. And then if I ever need any zoning, actually, we just got a deal right now for an auction tomorrow. Gabe's going to study the zoning for me. And then, you know, I'll know what to bid tomorrow kind of thing. So we just want to have access to everything with everybody we can help out who and who can help us as well. And we keep it tight. So we have an in-house GC, plumber, architect. We have a hotel marketing PR guy. We have you. So, the you know, the more quality people we have, the easier this job gets because it is at the end of the day a very stressful one being in real estate and just in that having that balance of a, a good support system and your personal life is really the key, the key to success no i love that man i love how, how, just the composition of your team you guys really have things well structured over there i can tell just by and i can tell it's a good culture just by how you guys talk about one another and that's just like so important when you're sometimes in a very chaotic business because there's so many deadlines you're trying to get through everything you got to read through all the details even though you're trying to rush at the same time it's a really really tough balancing act um gabe how about yourself man what are you looking for what do you need need someone to read the zoning stuff for you (laughs) (laughs) no because i wouldn't trust him (laughs) um dude so like ivan said man it's right now it's just people like i just want to meet more people and just talk like every there's people around this world that have any anything that anybody can dream of right you just you just you just got to talk to them you know it's not until you talk to people and you get a different perspective of how things work that you get that aha moment and you're like wow okay so like if you have a problem you just know exactly who to call if you just have your contact list and know exactly who to call when you solve a problem like that's all you really need right and that's that's super important and why we we're throwing these networking events is like we want to like eventually just put everybody in the same platform and just like listen guys this is what everybody does help each other solve each other's problems and everything's out there for you guys it's actually it's funny the, a mandatory we we did so for these mandatory meetings so we go around the table everybody has to come up with one problem and then we don't leave until we solve it or start the process of solving it that goes wow. events as well so somebody goes, hey, I need uh, an architect. So we plug them in right away. And then I would hound them on g- multiple group texts and emails. Like, hey, have you worked with them yet? Or they need a lumber <laughs> supply company. You know, they need a zoning opinion. Gabe's there. So we want to solve not even just real estate. It could be like, oh, my cat's stuck on the tree. You know, oh, I got a fireman for that. So we just want to <laughs> solve a problem right away because that just comes back, you know, with the right people. You know, some people will take advantage of it. Don't be scared. Don't be scared of people cutting you out of a deal. Just give, give, give. Make sure you're all set, mm-hmm. obviously, from the start and just share as much as you can. And honestly, it's the energy and the vibe that you put out, just like in life. That's right. That's right. And you, you guys you guys make it sound so simple. It's like, hey, we're just going to put together all these people, let, every, let everybody know what everybody does. And then, dude, it is. Out. It's so simple. It's so like, simple. All, dude, all you got to do is pick up your phone and just do it. <laughs> 
like the same oh way God. you would go and you text your friends that you text all day to just pick up a phone and just text different people and say hey listen we're putting something together i'd love for you to be there right yeah. and, and it's it just gonna it's just gonna be so authentic it's like we like we don't have a purpose of why we're doing of, mm -hmm. like how to we're not making money off any of these things we're just like we're just giving free knowledge we just want to help you guys win. I just want everybody to, if, if I have something that I know that I could potentially change the trajectory of the future for you and your family, like, why wouldn't I tell you? Why wouldn't I talk to you about it? If I, if I see that you're thinking some way, and I know that's, in my opinion, a weird way of thinking about it, or I think you should think about it like this, all I'm going to do is share. The least I can do is share, because mm -hmm. I just want to give people value that I wish that, that I, they got reciprocated to me all these years and through all the people that i met yeah and these are Man. people these are people we already work with or have worked with so it could be anybody from attorneys to a developer to another agent yeah so the purpose of these events is i want you to make money with my friends because that makes us stronger you know yes and then the sponsors are happy because we want to make sure the sponsors are eating as well we're doing sub events for the sponsors to get a more business and that's really it it's all about just helping each other grow yeah it's it's really that that mentality of abundance like there's plenty for everybody in this world you don't need to keep it to yourself uh share the resources and then you quickly attract the right people that you want to work with um this kind of gets to the point of the podcast like i ask this question to every guest on a podcast ivan i'll go with you first but i mean why, why do you think affordable housing particularly the lack of supply is so hard to solve for and what kind of ideas do you have for solving this problem I think you have to work with the state and the city very closely. Mm. There's a lot of city owned land out there. And I think it's just, you know, I, I'm not going to take shots at the city on how they, they allocate the money that they're given, but I think they should hyper focus on setting some of that aside for this the development, you know, hire developers, project managers to just kind of run it and just build these little communities, you know, it's, no, it's easier I, I... said than done. It's, 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 it's a tough one, which, we will need your expertise to navigate here in Boston, but we've been hitting everybody up on a city and state level, as well as the current operators overlooking thousands of the affordable units throughout some of these luxury buildings all over the city. Because you need it. You you need participation from everybody because these are such hard projects. They are they really are like climbing mountains together. You yeah, do it's, need it's really everybody just to get grants, you know, like I mean, Gabe mm. will tell you it's just really the cost to build. Some of these land you can't you know based on the numbers it'll project you can't even mm -hmm. build it even if they give it to you for free yeah it's wild um gabe how about yourself i want to ask you for your opinion why do you think affordable housing is so hard to solve for and what kind of solutions do you got uh well affordable housing i think like i said it's something that's super important right it's super necessary like i you need to have a, a product to be able to fulfill the needs of the backbone of America, not just people that have mm -hmm. high paying jobs. Like, and I get it. Like, you know, in a market like we're in, in Boston, it's you're, you're surrounded by Harvard professors and doctors and, you know, all, all these people that have a, a significant net, net worth. That doesn't mean that there shouldn't be housing inventory for the people that are actually serving in and supplementing every single one of these businesses, like the barista at Starbucks, you know, or, or maybe a, somebody that's like a garbage man or a city worker or somebody that works for the mbta which is the train system out here in boston like like where are these people going to live like are they going to have to move two hours away from the city and even then it's this it's not really worth it because now they need to buy cars they need to they need to pay for tolls they need to pay for gas like how far are we going to be going to need to push people out before we understand that you need to help us help you guys by being able to help us get the funding necessary and incentives that are necessary for us to be able to provide the affordable housing that the city so desperately needs. Man, I'm so glad you brought up the example. I, I literally was on the call the other day with a call center rep, um, just trying to handle some stuff for insurance. And I was like, hey, where do you live? She's like, blah, blah, blah. And she's, I was like, oh, how's the drive? And she tells me she drives an hour and a half every single day, each way to get to her job. And she's like, I just can't afford to live anywhere closer to my job. And there are so many people like that every single day. And I bring up that story because I, I just want to take this time now to just thank you both for, for doing your part, for fighting the fight, 
and helping the people and treating them like humans. And I think part of that stems from all of our backgrounds that we understood what life was like when we lived in affordable housing. But most importantly, we know how important it was and the profound impact that affordable housing has had on us because we would not be in a position that we are in today without that stable roof over our heads when we're younger. So th guys, thank you so much. If it wasn't for you guys, like I seriously wouldn't have had a home like I had growing up. And it's all because of people with mentalities and kind hearts like you guys. Um, for people that want to reach out to you guys or find out more about you guys, uh, Gabe, let's go with you first because you got the mic. Where can people find out more about you and how can people get in touch with you? All right. So if you want to find out of the things that I am that I got going on, you can follow my Instagram at Gabe617. You can also follow our networking events that we throw monthly uh, here mm. in Boston if you're local. I apologize if you're not local. We'll... <laughs> we'll figure out a way to help you guys out regardless uh at blueprint boston on instagram mm. and uh you could also follow me on my podcast as well uh, we're gonna have kent on as soon as, <laughs> yes, as we let's get a go. chance uh it's at against normality you can find it on spotify and other major platforms as well love it how about you ivan for me so this go it's my website but it's really all our partners so blueprint boston is our conglomerate here it's our networking mm. event but it's really just a group for everybody where we share our networks so i'll link my website on sounds good on, show notes. on there and that'll show all the our major partners right now that that's everybody our trash disposal our everybody everybody's on there. stone supply nightclubs and all that stuff where we do some of our <laughs> events so i'll have a full list for you guys and that, like that's that's my website but it's really everybody in the groups and nice uh all you guys too Love it, man. Love it. Hey, guys, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on to the show today. The, I'm sure the audience got amazing value out of it. I know I I truly enjoyed the conversation. I love just wherever these conversations go. It's truly organic. And I love that we connected in all of our stories. It's been fun. And hey, maybe in a year from now, we'll be back on. We'll be telling a case study of something that we're working on. That would be pretty cool. Or a building where, that we're erecting. Hey, let's go, baby. Why not? Uh, we're, Why not? We're, listen, we're all in. We're no experts in the field, but we know the people and we're just going to plug them in slowly but surely i can't wait man this is going to be exciting thank you All right, again, guys bro. and we are out thank, thank you, you.